LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Peter Russell. Beginning in August 2020, Freedom from Fear is a free-form discussion series taking the title as its starting point. As with some previous episodes in this series, Peter and I begin by discussing the evolutionary origins and purpose of fear. Fear rarely serves any purpose beyond fleeting moments of real danger, and constantly living in fear is incredibly debilitating. We contrast the evolutionary role of fear with the 21st century explosion in anxiety, neuroses and declining mental health and explore how human intelligence is both our greatest gift and the source of our most profound problems. We also consider how thoughts about the past and fear of the future stops us living in the present. Apparently unlike other creatures, human beings know that we are going to die and fear of death, still perhaps the last great taboo, keeps us from being truly alive. And of course, no contemporary discussion about fear would be complete without examining the pandemic of fear triggered by the current coronavirus crisis. Hello and welcome, Peter, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Lovely to be with you again. Looking forward to it. So I say joining us again is April 2013 when we last spoke and, you know, so much has happened since since then, to, to say the least. Before we get started, for listeners who don't know, if you could just uh, briefly introduce yourself, say a little bit about your your background and your work in general. Okay, um, try to keep it brief. Um, I started off as a mathematician, scientist, theoretical physics, that sort of thing, but got more and more interested in consciousness because I realized that Science was never going to answer the question of why are we conscious, and that took me into meditation, into philosophy, particularly Eastern philosophy, and really, my, I suppose, my journey has been about looking for what is the essence of the world's spiritual traditions. I, you know, as a kid, I thought religion was just a load of weird mumbo jumbo, and then I began to realise no, there was something there, there was some common element to it all, and so I've been fascinated by. What is that common element and how to, how to sort of distill that and present it in, in everyday terms? And that's led me to, you know, write a, a number of books over the years, um, teaching. I actually taught this sort of work in the corporate world way back in the eighties. Um, and here I am today, still sort of on this journey of exploration. And it's an, it's a, it's a personal exploration as well. It's like, um, how do I take this into my own life? How do I work with it um, in terms of my own my own awakening, you could say? And that's that's I suppose the the underlying motivation for it all is how can I free myself from um, 
all the things that hold us up and limit us. Now, your uh, latest book, which is just coming out, is entitled Letting Go of Nothing, Relax Your Mind and Discover the Wonder of Your True Nature. And that has definitely got something to say in the context of our talk today, which is part of um, a series that I started in August 2020, uh, entitled Freedom from Fear, uh, which is basically just a free-form discussion, taking the title as a starting point. And, and unlike most of the interviews, interviews that I approach, I'm not coming to this with any notes or talking points or anything like that whatsoever. So perhaps we could just kick off where a lot of these uh, talks have started, which is just you know, contemplating the, the nature of fear, the origin of fear, the purpose of fear, because it, in most, all the guests I've discussed this with, we've talked about the evolutionary purpose of fear in terms of like alerting us to danger, but how that um, has morphed into the sort of low level anxiety that so many people live with throughout their lives. It's, it's fear has an evolutionary purpose, but what was the journey? From right. from that to where we find ourselves now, so to speak. Yes, yeah. I mean, clearly, you know, it, as you say, it was. It's very valuable for the organism. If there's some danger, if there's some threat, then fear is a useful response. And fear, you know, the basic response of fear is to run away. That's you know, or, or maybe fight, but it's about activity. It's about we want activity. Extreme activity is the result of fear. Uh, what we have today is we have this sort of innate biological programming, but it gets attached to a lot of other aspects of our lives. It becomes, you know, we're worried about what other people might think of us, what, whether we're going to get the things we want to be happy, um, these sorts of things. And, you know, e even when we're sort of really, you know, when we're desiring something even, behind that there can be an anxiety that if we don't get it, we won't be happy or something. So it's, as you say, it's morphed into a place where it's actually there behind almost everything we do in one way or another. And I'm glad you use the word anxiety because people use the word fear a lot. Uh, but strictly fear is that biological response to danger. And I think anxiety is actually a more appropriate word. And I think behind all this is is the desire to be happy, as many, you know, spiritual teachers and other people have said, you know, our fundamental motivation is to be at peace, to be happy, to be content. And fear is basically the concern that we may not be happy. And I think, just to go back a step there, I think being happy, whatever we're going to call I call it happiness for the moment. We could call it contentment, peace of mind, um, inner stability, whatever you want to call it. But it's about feeling okay. The basic, ba most generic way to put it is we want to feel okay. That's our fundamental, fundamental motivation. And that is perfectly natural. And if things are okay in our world out there, if we're, you know, well fed, we've got shelter, we're warm, whatever it is, if things are okay in the world out there, we feel okay inside. If things aren't okay, if there's something, you know, if we're cold or go out in the rain or something, we don't feel okay. We feel discontent. And then we do something to remedy the discontent. So, we, you know, we come inside, warm up, put a coat on, whatever it is. So the discontent is a motivation 
to return to contentment. I see that as our natural motivation, and that again is there for you know biological reasons. And so I think that's a very natural organic thing to want to return to contentment. Now what happens, I think, with us is we we get into imagining all these possible sources of discontent. And you know, whatever we imagine what could go wrong or whether we're not going to get what we want. And so in the background, we we sort of live in a state of not all the time, but a lot of the time, there's a vague discontentment which we're trying to rectify the whole time by doing something in the world. So we you know, oh I'm I need to do this. You're or you're feeling a bit depressed, go to the movies. Whatever it is. Our whole world tells us you know, what to do if you're feeling discontent. So it's that, it's that background discontent which leads to the anxiety which, which we, which we call fear. And I'm quite happy to call it fear, but I just like to point out it's not, it's not an animal fear we feel most of the time. We, you know, we do from time to time, but it's that programming which gets triggered that, that there's something wrong, there's some threat, there's some danger, I'm not going to get my needs met. And so I think that that's what's basically behind it and we've we've created a world where you know now with our creativity our technology our ingenuity we can you know create almost anything we want we can make the world any way we want it not perfectly but you know we, we have that power and so i think that has seduced us into the thinking that if i'm not happy if i'm discontent I've got to do something. So a whole a whole world is seducing us into that. It's what I call the materialist mindset. It basically says, you know, if, if you're not feeling okay, you need to do something in the world. And in a way, there's an irony here because, uh, you know, when we start imagining something that may go wrong in the future or we start going over something that, we didn't do right in the past or something that happened to us in the past. When we start imagining these things that went wrong or could go wrong, we're creating discontent. And then we try to remedy the discontent by doing something. And I think the, it's almost like a sad joke here is the reason we're not feeling content is because we're, we've created in our imagination some form of discontent. And then we go and try to remedy what we've created in the world rather than letting go of the discontent that's arise, arisen. So if we let go of the discontent, we actually naturally come back to that state of contentment that we're looking for. So th that's how I see how we got into this state where most of the time we're in this, you know, what you want to call discontent, anxiety, fear. It's there in the background most of the time. And, and we don't notice it. It actually feels so normal to be in this state, most of us. And then we have these moments of awakening where we let go. It's like, oh, wow, I just realized how, how tense I'd become over this. Because again, fear, because it wants action, creates tension in the body, which creates tension in the mind. Now, here's an idea that you will be familiar with, but in some ways kind of cuts across or maybe goes against, in some way, the ideas and insights in your book. Maybe not, but you, you, you can shed some light on this. I've been challenged recently by individuals uh, in, in interesting conversations and also by the events like many of us have of the last 18 months. The idea 
that happiness and fulfillment is somehow why we're here. Because there is the idea that we choose to incarnate, you know, whatever your cosmology or spiritual beliefs, we choose to incarnate in this place at this time. And that the existence on Earth is basically part education and part battlefield. And that's what we're here to do. So just throwing that out there, that happiness and fulfillment, you know, maybe that's not something that we should be, we should be seeking. Though I would draw a line between happiness and fulfillment, not equating them by any means. I think you can, right. you know, you can be fulfilled doing something that isn't necessarily all about happiness. Right. I, I mean, I'm not sure we come here with any purpose. Um, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, that's not part of how I, that's not part of my cosmology. Um, but I think, as I think we are deep down, deep down behind, behind everything we do, we are looking for, call it happiness. I think that's the fundamental motivation behind everything we do. But then I think where we go wrong is we start looking for that. We tr start trying to find happiness in, in what we do. And so we fall into this pattern I was talking about where we're using the world or often abusing the world for our personal happiness. And, and that's because in a way we, we've lost contact with that quality inside us. And so that's where we go wrong. We start seeking happiness in the world and often at, you know, the expense of nature or our own selves or our friends or whatever. So I don't feel there's anything wrong with that fundamental desire to be happy. Where we go wrong is how we, how we seek to find it. And yes, I think we, we are um, I mean, look at my own life. You know, my my purpose is to improve the quality of my life, to be a, you know, to be more um, safe in my own being, to be kinder, to be loving to other people, and and that I feel, you know, is is an honourable purpose. So I'm not quite sure what what is the criticism of the people you're talking about. What what is their actual criticism? I'm not quite sure of that. I, I, I guess it's just simply um, a, a, another worldview, uh, you know, of what, right. what, what life is. And uh, you'll be very familiar with traditions and views of life, the universe and everything that, that do right. feel that, you know, that we, we do come here for a reason, a purpose. I'm open to that. The jury's still out, I would say. But it's a, then the feeling that, that, that is, is kind of like a, like an assault course. <laughs> you know that that's what this li that life is in a way, and uh, it tests us, uh, whatever different experiences yeah. we go through, yeah. uh, and that that ser that serves a purpose as well. Y yes, again, uh, I think the word purpose is where I slightly, I mean, as I said, I don't I don't feel we I don't know whether we come here with a purpose or not. Um, I don't take that as something to be too concerned about. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. I don't know. Maybe like you, the jury's still out. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't get too hung up about that. But as you say, life is like an assault course. Um, whether that's the purpose to be an assault course, again, I don't like to think about purpose. Life is an assault course because we're meeting challenges everywhere we go. And how we, how we meet those challenges, how we respond to them is, is really, really important. And, 
we can learn from that. We can definitely learn from that and hopefully learn how to become better individuals uh, as part of that. Now, I'm going to quote a few words from uh, the notes of one of my previous talks in this yeah. series, which basically expounds the idea that the unique intelligence which allows humans to sit atop Earth's evolutionary pyramid, whatever you think about however we've messed, we've messed up, uh, there are some senses when we appear to be the peak of evolution on Earth, and we have dominion over all life on the planet if we so choose. And in, in some ways, our greatest gifts, you know, our self-reflection, self-consciousness is the source of our most profound problems. So that which makes us most unique is that which makes us most accursed in a way. Yes, yes. I think there is something in that. As This gets into oh, a whole other area of self-consciousness and ego. I mean, we are... What we have is self-reflective consciousness, um, which is the fact that we are not only aware, I believe all creatures are aware. They're aware, they have, they're experiencing the world. I mean, if I look at you know, any animal, my dog, it's clearly experiencing the world. But I don't think animals have semantic language like we do. They have their own ways of communicating, definitely they communicate. What we have is semantic language, which is you know, the fact we can use words and combine words to create meaning. And, and that leads us to an internal process we call thinking, which is largely talking to ourselves in our head. We have conversations in our head about what's right, what's wrong, what to do, what's going on, all this stuff, what we're feeling. And then then we become aware of this process. We become aware that we're thinking. We become aware that we're experiencing. So this is what's technically called self-reflective awareness. Our consciousness becomes aware that we are conscious. And then we start thinking, okay, so there's some self here that is conscious. And that's where things get a little tricky. Um, if I look inside myself, I don't find a, a self that is aware in the sense. I find lots of thoughts, lots of feelings, that sort of thing, and experiences, what's happening. And then I find a lot of maybe self-centered thoughts, you know, which is about what do I want? What do I need? And that's what we often call the ego, that sense of self. We call it the ego. Um, but I, I see that, that it isn't really a thing. It's a mode of thinking we get caught up in. And I think this comes back to what we were talking about earlier, the need for, to you know, maintain our homeostasis, to check things are okay, to avoid danger. And so what we call egoic thinking, I think behind it, behind almost all egoic thinking, is this fundamental thing we're talking about, you know, the fear, the anxiety, the discontent, the imagination of what might happen or what might not happen. So there is that sense of, self but it's not actually a thing it's more as i say it's a, it's a way of thinking that we get caught in and i think we get caught in it most of the time so and that that's where that's where our problems come from it's not so much because we are self-aware it's because we mistakenly think we are 
um, this egoic mind. We think we are the thinking mind. We think I am this person thinking these thoughts, etc. So we, we create this sense of self and then this sense of self begins to run our lives and create a lot of unnecessary problems and a lot of um, disruption to ourselves, the world and our community. So it is, it is a two-edged thing, this self-reflective consciousness. It's a, it leads to so many gifts that we have as human beings, so many gifts, our imagination, our creativity, our ability to weigh up right and wrong, all these things. And it gets um, caught up. It's caught up in what I call this egoic, fearful mode thinking, which you know creates so much, so much trouble. We have a tremendous negativity bias as a species. Um, it seems obvious, and there's lots of stories, narratives going back so far in the past that we don't really truly know about their origins. Whether it's Garden of Eden, you know, Atlantis, uh, you know, you know, tales of uh, lost golden ages, you know, antediluvian civilizations, yeah, and the, f- yeah. the feeling that we've lost something, um, that, that's a persistent undercurrent. And, um, I, I do wonder, you know, if, if there's something about our consciousness that, that may have become corrupted for some reason or in some way that, that's made us the way that we are now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows what is, you know, myth, what is, what has some basis in historical fact. You know, none of us know, but you know, we do know there were earlier civilizations and things. Um, but I think this loss is something which occurs with us all every day. You know, I think we fall from grace all the time. We fall from grace. It isn't something that happened in the past. I think it's continually happening to us when we get when we get caught up in, you know, the ego mind's thinking, or we get caught up in all this, then we, we're functioning from a very limited consciousness. We, we get judgmental. We, we lose our connection with ourselves. We lose our connection with our, what I call our innate lovingness. We lose our connection with the present moment because we get caught up in thinking about the past or the future. So I see the fall wasn't something that happened you know, thousands of years ago or whatever, I think the fall is something that happens to each of us continually through the day. We keep falling from, from grace. We keep falling out of the, you know, the, the beingness of the present moment into this worry and concern. And yes, that, that's the way I see it. It's something that's, it's an ongoing process that we're, we're all caught in. Yes, we have fallen. Um, but we have the ability to um, reconnect with our essential nature as well at, at any time we choose to. You mentioned your um, your dog earlier, and we have ideas of you know like our our, our pets and, and and just other you know other creatures on Earth and their you know how they compare to us in terms of consciousness. And clearly, there's consciousness in in everything in all things as it seems to me. But you think about, you know, when you're, we, we talked earlier on about the evolutionary purpose of fear and perhaps there might be a, an occasion when your dog is afraid, uh, for very good reason, you know, loud noise, yeah. um, you know, another yeah. dog, whatever it happens to be. But 
you don't have a picture of your dog or cat or anything else. You're a budgie contemplating the past and the future and ruminating on right. doom and right. gloom themes. I mean, so for, for many human beings, you know, it, psychologically we exist in those places, the past, you know, what happened, what didn't yeah. happen, uh, the future, what might happen, what might not yeah. happen at the expense, you know, of the here and now, which is really, you know, all there is. And I know that's a, a, a common theme in, in your work over the years. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, if I watch, you know, the dog, if it's, you know, if it's, if it's done something wrong, it sort of knows it. It'll come back. It'll be a little fear that I might, you know, reprimand it or something. But then it's all over, and, you know, five seconds later, it's fine. You know, or any anxiety or, you know, see some danger, it, you know, runs away from another dog. But, but then it's over quickly. Whereas we human beings, I mean, it comes back to a, fact that we can think in words and ruminate upon things we can keep that going you know our fear our anxiety our judgments of other people we can keep it going for not just hours but days or weeks you know we can say oh god i'm still upset about what happened six months ago it's like what why why what's the point of being upset about something that happened a long time ago or worrying about what might happen in the future. I think it was Mark Twain who said something like, you know, I, as he's, he said, I'm an old now, I'm an old man now, and my life has been full of disasters, most of which never happened. And I think you know, that we get, we get caught up in creating all this discontent, which other animals don't do. So, yeah, so in a, in a way, that's how our consciousness has got somewhat messed up. Yeah, because I'd say unlike other creatures, we, we have a sense of the past and the future and also of our own mortality. I think that's very important yes. in all of this. Yes, yes. I, yes, I suspect other creatures don't. And when we say other creatures here, I just like to point out, you know, there's creatures like the dolphins and whales and even elephants to some extent who do seem to show some of, you know, the same concerns that we have. I mean, they all mourn their dead. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com.